Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. The title of my sermon is Two Cups. Okay, Two Cups. And I'm going to be explaining that. And there is, a, we've got some Madeira up here. I think it's white. Is it white wine? It's red. Oh, yeah, it's red. Got some red. I'm not going to be drinking any of this, but any of you that feel free to come and have a drink if you want. Just kidding. Um, the, uh, we will be serving communion at the, ser- at the end of my service, but we, um, for the sake of uh, your safety and driving home and all of that sort of stuff, we don't serve alcoholic wine. But I thought for, the, for, the, for, the, for tonight's message, I would just have a bottle of wine as a kind of a prop, and I will be using it, but I'm not going to be drinking it. But Luke um, 22 is what I'm going to be reading from, Luke chapter 22. And this is basically the, the Last Supper. You, you may have heard this story of uh, when Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples um, and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story, and we can get so much out of it. Um, but I, I want to talk about it. Firstly, I, I think this, for some of us who are from maybe more traditional faiths, um, as in those who have been in a faiths of, of, that, that kind of follow Jesus, there's been there's been a lot of conjecture as to how this sort of thing should be done, whether or not we should have little biscuits that kind of melt on your mouth and whether or not we should have non-alcoholic wine or alcoholic wine or whether it should be done by someone who has like done 10 years of Bible college or whether it should be done by someone who just believes. There's so much conjecture over it that that is, uh, you know, really driven by kind of uh, tradition. Uh, tradition is a funny old thing, is it? Because it can trick you into making it feel like it's something that's actually got value and got um, uh, some sort of sort of uh, meaning behind it just because everybody's been doing it a certain way for a long, long time. You know, if I, if I install a tradition and I get another generation and another generation to do that, people from the second generation won't even question what the first generations were doing. You know, they, they'll just do it. And this has happened a bit with communion. If you look at what actually was going on with communion back then, when Jesus did it, the guy who started it all, the one that we, we actually think about and celebrate when we do communion. Is that Jake up the back there? How are you, mate? Hi, back from Oxford? Good. Not yet? He's not gone yet. I thought that was a quick three months. Are you going? Okay, I wasn't expecting I thought I said goodbye. Anyway, sorry, I'm just being an airhead. Okay, I hope you, hope you get used to that because I am an airhead sometimes. Let me read to you this about the Last Supper. Now, I want you to catch this. Luke 22, verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Now, that's interesting. Oh, I need to wear your watch, Rachel, because otherwise we will be here till Sunday. Um, can you just put it on my... I know my wife, is she's so beautiful, she just serves me. She even puts my watch on. She does this every day for me. She doesn't really. Ha, huh, good, okay. What time do I need to finish? Nine, 9.30, yeah, I was going to say, it's nearly, okay, yeah, okay, good. So when the hour come, Jesus and his disciples, they were reclining at the table. Now, just picture this, have you ever been to a church where the priests serving communion are reclining at a table before you serve them? Isn't that funny? Because I've heard a lot of people say all sorts of things about communion and the way it should be. 
But here is the way it should be if we're actually going to do it by the book. First thing, you should get a table that seats about 12 people and you should have recliners. Well, that sounds good to me. I like the sound of that. That sounds like a meal. Right? So back then, to give you some context, the way they did communion is they would, they would uh, well, any meals, actually. They, it was a really good culture. They would have recliners at the table and you would kind of just lay there and, and sort of pick at the table the olives and the flatbread and the, and the mezze and, the, and the, you know, all of the stuff. Yeah, the hummus, that was the word I was trying to remember. All the hummus and, you know, with the spices and all of the Moroccan food. I just, remember, I just imagine it all being Moroccan. Anybody else with me on that? It's just awesome. It's, who likes Moroccan? I love Moroccan food. I also like Indian food. Um, but, but this is what was going on. It was a proper meal with, 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 with wine. Oh, didn't have wine there? Yes, he did. Jesus' first miracle. His first miracle was turning water into wine. Some of you know that already. So there was wine at the table. Oh, it doesn't sound like real communion to me. Imagine some people coming from today, this day and age, going back and saying to Jesus, Hey, uh, Jesus, just hold on a second. You're not supposed to be reclining, relaxing at a table with your disciples. Don't you know me? We have some tradition here. We have some ways we do this. Could you imagine? Jesus would be like, Pardon? What's this tradition? I don't, I don't know about this tradition. And it's funny, you know, that's what tradition does sometimes, is that the, 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 the person that the book was written about, we sometimes miss all of that. Anyway, it's a bit of a soapbox. It's not really what I'm preaching about, but I thought since I'm talking about it, I better. So he reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover. What's a Passover? Well, it goes back to the Egyptians um, and the Israelites. There was an angel of death. It was the last act of God before the, the, um, the Pharaoh would, would let the Israelites go. It's, a, it's, in, it's in the Old Testament. You will, if you ever want to catch up and we can talk about it another time. But, but, but basically the Passover is when the angel of death passed over their homes that, that had a lamb that was sacrificed and, and, uh, and the angel of death passed over. And, and ever since that day, the Israelites would celebrate that day. So the Passover is a, is a week-long event that goes on and, and Jesus on about the third or fourth day before the end of Passover has this meal with his, with his disciples. And he's saying, I'm, 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 I'm been, I've been waiting to have this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking this cup, taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He took bread. I wish I had three hands. I'm going to do that. He took bread. He gave thanks. He said, Thank you, Father God, for your provision. Thank you that we can have this meal tonight. Thank you that you provided this room for us. We thank you for all you've done. And God, we thank you for this food we're about to eat. And you broke it. You're all thinking, I hope his hands are clean. He broke it up good and proper for his disciples to just grab a piece and just to eat that. It's a nice bread. Dina got this bread. Thanks, Dina. You can thank Dina for that. It's making my mouth water. Even though I can't eat it, I'm gluten intolerant. After taking the cup, sorry, I got ahead of myself. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this. I'll pour out the wine as well. It's okay. 
15, I pre-opened it for me. So, what's he say? He says, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I'm not, I'm not going to drink of this wine again until, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. Gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And he offered around to his disciples a cup each and they drank a cup, or they drank, they drank, they drank a cup of communion. It's a cup of relationship. A cup of relationship. But I don't know if you've seen this, and I'm going to show you something in the Bible. That there was actually two cups that had to be drunk. And what Jesus had offered his disciples was the cup of relationship. But the cup that Jesus drank, well, that had something different in it the cup of God's wrath cup of God's wrath when I say the word wrath I I wrestled with this because in the Bible there's this concept of God's wrath God's anger and it's an uncomfortable thing to think about it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about because we think of God as well well isn't God a God of love isn't God a God who who just who just just has all of this love and he wants to pour it out on us and for us and the answer is yes but if you were to say does God get angry or does God have wrath I'm not talking about the kind of anger we have I'm talking about righteous anger where there's no sin okay if you were to say does God get angry the answer is yes does God have wrath the answer is yes it's a bit uncomfortable isn't it Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, when we, we, we'll, we'll go to that in a moment. But I just want you to remember this. We'll come back to this before I read it. Is what Jesus was presenting to them was a meal that was about relationship. So much so that he said, I'm looking forward to the day we sit in heaven and we have this meal again. Can you imagine this? best of friends three years doing life day in day out day in day out day in day out jesus knows that his end is coming that that he is about to hang on a cross he knows what's about to come his disciples don't really know they don't really know why jesus is suddenly being so so dramatic why he's been so emotional they don't understand what's going on but he knows He knows that this is his last meal and all he wants to do for his last meal is not set a tradition in place that that people would just go to to the thing and do the thing and then go home and, and, and yes, I've done my piece. It's not what that's about. If anybody is doing that, they've missed the point. What Jesus put this in place for was all about the cup of relationship. It was a meal that Jesus used as an object lesson to show his body broken. And his blood poured out in order to have a relationship. But behind all of this, 
The reason we can have this relationship with Jesus. The reason the disciples could even think about having a meal with God Himself in the flesh before them. It's because of love. But love that covered wrath. How did God cover His wrath? Because God is a righteous judge. See, before I talk about this scripture that I'm about to show you in Ephesians, what you do for, for, for objects of your love, whether it be a child or whether it be a spouse, you know, in, in a marriage, there are boundaries that are set in place. A marriage without boundaries would be a very horrible marriage. But each partner brings some boundaries, some do not cross areas into the marriage like you can't if you want me you can't go and have 10 other people like me you need just me right that's a boundary why because why because 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 you love each other right it's like there's one that's it doesn't work any other way that's a boundary with children we put boundaries. When, 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 when my children were very small, and as they grow bigger, the boundaries change over time. For Willow, my little one, sometimes we have to literally put her in a cot, which is like a proper boundary around her. Because she is in her own emotional self and learning and all of that sort of thing. She may do something that is going to hurt herself. So we put that because we love her. And Elijah, we put boundaries around him from time to time. We show him what's right, what's wrong. Because we love him. When you talk about the wrath of God, the wrath, I guess, is like a metaphor for what it is when you step outside of the boundaries that God has set in place. On the other side of the boundary, when we step out of God's will, is death. All death is, is eternal separation from God. That's what, it's, it's a disconnection from the source of life. That's what death is. In the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, He said, do not eat of this tree. If you eat of that one tree, you step outside of these boundaries, you surely will. It's interesting, they knew about death even before sin. It's an interesting thought, but anyway, I'm not preaching about that. Because it was a boundary. God said, this is the boundary. What you have right now is going to finish if you step outside of what I've given you. Because what is outside of what I've given you, you do not want, you do not need. It is not going to do anything for you except separate you from everything I've made for you. And you will not live it's a boundary. The wrath of God. So we drink from the cup of relationship because Jesus, He drank from the cup of God's wrath. Ephesians 2. Let's read it. Ephesians 2. Verse 1 to 3. It says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Some of you might be wondering, even I sometimes get caught on this word transgression does anybody use that in their general day-to-day -day language if you do 
you're a very smart person because you... you, you have, what is a trans, transgression? Well, a transgression basically means to trespass. It's talking about boundaries. It's, that's literally what it means, to trespass. As you trespass. As for you, you are dead in your trespassing. Going past the boundaries that God had set. And sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Step one into trespassing and going outside of the boundaries God has set is to gratify the cravings of your flesh and, and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath because we trespassed we went outside the boundaries we went outside the, 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 the boundary that God had set up for us in order for us to flourish to be fruitful. He said, Adam and Eve, go and enjoy all that I've given you. All of this creation. Go forth and multiply and multiply, multiply, multiply and be fruitful. Have it all. But don't do this one thing. Do not touch that tree. Because if you do, you're going to go outside of the boundary. Now he put that tree there for choice and free will. And there's a whole other doctrine that we can go on, a whole other rabbit hole that I'm not going to go down right now, but it was about free will. Free will is also a part of love. You want someone to choose to love you. You don't want to give them no choice. If the tree wasn't there, there would have been no choice. He wanted them to choose him. So Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, this cup of wrath, it's all through the Bible. It's just really interesting. It's, it's all through the Bible. It's, there's tons of different scriptures where this wrath, 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 or the cup of wrath is talked about. And it's all about crossing boundaries. It's all about trespassing past what God had set up. But then we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus is taken and put on the cross, him contemplating something. And he's asking God to take something away from him. And it's, it's this really interesting and sad and moving moment just before Jesus goes to the cross. Let me read it to you. Then Jesus went with his disciples, a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Please, guys, would you, would you just stay here and keep watch with me? I'm going a little farther. 
he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Couldn't, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, Peter, but the flesh, well, that's weak. So start to sow into the spirit. Will you pray for me? Jesus went away a second time and prayed, My Father, my Father, this cup. If it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, this cup of your wrath, the boundaries that my brothers and sisters that you created if I have to drink this cup on their behalf if there's no other way God I'll do it because God I promised them God I promised them that one day they would be in heaven with me and I would drink the cup of friendship the cup of relationship and break bread with them once more and recline at the table with them once more I know you've got that place there, God, and we are, we are together. We're preparing it for them to come home. So if there's no other way, God, I'll, I'll drink this. May your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because <laughs> their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. The cup of God's wrath See, in this cup, the poison of sin, the poison of death, the poison of separation, the poison of loneliness, the poison of desperation, that feeling that you get when everything's gone wrong, when everything you hope for doesn't work out, when everyone's let you down, when you're sitting alone, and you feel like there is nobody for you. I'm sure that's what Jesus must have felt like, but even worse. As he contemplated for the very first time in his existence, and his existence had been forever, to be separated from the very person that he was a part of. So that he could replace the death that we were meant to have because of our trespasses with his life 
in John 19. As Jesus is on the cross, we see Jesus. Up until that point, he's been flogged, he's been beaten, he's been ridiculed, he's naked. All of the worst things have happened to our Jesus. Everything. He has a crown of thorns on his head that's pressing into his skull. He's got a sign above his head which is like an act of sarcasm saying, King of the Jews. And people are looking at him saying, Come on, get down off the cross. If you're the the king, if you're God, if you really are who you say you are, come on, get down. He could have. You know, he could have. He could have rained down fire, thunderbolts, anything. He was God. If he hadn't approved it up until that point with all of the miracles and all that he could do, he could have done it right there. But he didn't because he had a goal. He had something he was working towards. He had something in his mind. His family that he was redeeming. His little brothers, his little sisters, us. And there was no other way unless he drank that cup. Unless he drank that bitter wine with the poison of death in it. Unless he took it, there was no other way. So in John 19, verse 28, let me read this to you. It's one of the records of the death of Jesus. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished. And so the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, knowing that as soon as he said this, that the time would have come. I'm thirsty. I'm ready. To drink. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It's finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And the sacrifice was done, was made complete. The lamb, without blemish, without fault, the sinless body of Christ took upon the sacrifice and his body was broken and his blood poured out as the final payment that was owed for our trespasses. That's why he did it. 
when we have communion, when we break bread, and when we pour out the cup, and if uh, the uh, elements could come forward, what, what we do is, is just symbolic of a much greater event that happened in history. But what I want you to know is this. Is Jesus did this not for tradition. Not so that we could have some sort of thing that, oh yeah, I did, I did communion, so now I'm okay. That's not, it's not why he did it. See, back in... In, in Luke, if you're able to go back to that scripture, he said in verse 19, he said, and he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't do this in remembrance of tradition. Don't do this in, in, in remembrance of religion. Don't do this because you have to. Do this and know who I am. Know what I've done for you. Know the cup that I drank of so that you could drink this cup that you're about to drink tonight. Know how my body was broken so that when the day comes when this body, this physical shell breaks, that he will lead us into eternity, to our home. He'll lead our spirits on. And it's because he did what he did, because he drank the cup of wrath, we could drink the cup of friendship. There were two cups. Two cups. And he drank the one that would kill you. And said, that's my job. Only I can drink that cup and live. So he drank it. And from this day on, the rest of our lives, how many years we've got left for each one of us, I don't know, but we can celebrate Him and remember Him. Remember what He did. Remember who He is. And remember, it's a personal relationship, personal friendship. Do this in remembrance of me. Disciples, you know me. And you're going to go through some tough and difficult times I'm about to go on the cross. You're going to lose me for some time. You're not going to know what's going on, but do this right now. Just remember who I am. Remember this friendship. Don't forget it. And he's calling us to do the same thing. Leave behind your traditions. Leave behind your religion. Leave behind all of the ideas and things and stuff and everything everyone's told you and just do this one thing. Remember Christ. Because in Him... He is the only one that paid this sacrifice. He could have been the hero. He could have been anything you wanted him to be. He could have been it all. He is God. But there was only one way that the imperfect, you and me, could meet with the perfect, is that a sacrifice would be made so that we could have relationship and be redeemed back to God's original plan, and that was with Him in the garden. Friendship, walking with God. 
C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital, where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3 Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30 a.m. Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi.